This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by The Pretty Cult. The Pretty Cult is an apparel brand whose love of tarot, the occult, and of course, all things rock and roll are put into every piece created. All Pretty Cult items are sewn, screen printed, and handmade in the House of Cult in Los Angeles, California, and it's a woman-owned and operated shop. And now, Witchwave listeners can take 15% off their first order with code WITCHWAVE, all one word. So check out theprettycult.com. That's www.theprettycult.com and use WITCHWAVE for 15% off your first order. Are you looking for a way to deepen your connection with the moon? Luna Lux Botanicals offers lunar ritual bath soaks that are carefully crafted to help as you move through the lunar cycle. Set your new moon intentions while soaking in their lavender and mint blend, or celebrate the full moon with their indulgent rose and cardamom blend. And you know I love rose and cardamom. Each batch is handcrafted with intention using only all natural ingredients. If you're ready to take your lunar rituals to the next level, visit lunaluxbotanicals.com. That's L U N A L U X botanicals.com and use code WITCHWAVE, all one word, for 15% off your first order. That's lunaluxbotanicals.com and offer code WITCHWAVE for 15% off your first order. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to The Witch Wave. Today's episode is an incredibly special one because in it, I speak to my teacher, the green witch and herbalist extraordinaire, Robin Rose Bennett. Robin came into my life over a decade ago and was, and in many ways still is, a mentor to me who truly opened my eyes and my heart to the deep and abundant magic of nature. It's not that I didn't appreciate the natural world before I met her, but I definitely compartmentalized it in a lot of ways as being separate from my day-to-day -day urban life. Doing spells under the trees like I did as a little witch in the woods behind my childhood home felt like a distant memory in relation to my adult apartment living. 
And while the moon and goddesses and storms and the sky were a big part of my 20-something New York City magic-making, plants? Not so much beyond the occasional sprinkle of flower petals every now and again as a spell called for it. Once I started studying with Robin, however, it became clear to me that the cycles of the seasons and the body were deeply intertwined, and that green, vital energy, otherwise known as veriditas, as Hildegard von Bingen would call it, was one of the most potent forces in existence, and that it is everywhere, even in the most urban spaces. It's found in our houseplants and our kitchen cabinets and farmers markets, and it grows in our parks and community gardens and tree-lined streets, and it even springs up as deeply magical but so often overlooked so-called weeds that tenaciously turn up in the sidewalk cracks and abandoned alleyways in every corner of the city. Robin helped reveal that for me in my years of apprenticeship with her, and she did it with humor and science and song and spell. Now, there are some who say that magic is inherited and that true magical gifts must be passed down through our bloodlines. And I've written before about the healing hands that run through the matrilineal line of my family. And I'll admit I feel a sense of pride and connection when I think about that. But truth be told, Many of us don't learn witchcraft from our mothers or grandmothers. Sometimes that knowledge has been discouraged or it's simply lost to the ages. But that doesn't mean that we still can't find other elders through books and classes and YouTube videos and if we wish via magical mentors that we can meet or correspond with or apprentice with. They can become part of our spiritual family. I value my relationship with Robin so much, not only because of what she formally taught me through her many lessons, but because in a lot of ways, she's a trailblazer in her own life. Even though witchcraft seems in vogue now in certain contexts, being a witch is still considered a bit weird at best or threatening at worst, and Robin has been living her truth as a green witch for decades, long before Instagram made it fashionable. Her commitment to following her own path, trusting her instincts and the messages she received from the plants, and to sharing her knowledge with others is all endlessly inspiring to me. And it really lifted my spirits to connect with her and get her wise perspective now in this tumultuous time. Because that's the other thing our elders can offer us, 
a broader point of view that can help us expand our ideas about what's happening and what we can do here and now. I've mentioned many times before that one of my favorite books when I was little, and frankly still now, is Wise Child by Monica Furlong, which is about a little girl who is taken in by Juniper, the village witch. The entire trilogy is wonderful, but in this first book, Juniper teaches Wise Child about magic and natural healing especially the use of herbs. I was reminded of this book when I first started studying with Robin, and our conversation reminded me of this specific passage, which I'll read to you now. This is an excerpt from the beginning of the book, when Wise Child first arrives at Juniper's magical cottage and is being shown the ropes and given a tour of the grounds. Quote, Beyond the courtyard was the herb garden, separated from the meadow by a hedge, and now suddenly I understood the plan of Juniper's garden. She had about a hide of land, and it made a circle or wheel with her house at the center. The herbs were in neat sections of the wheel, fenced in by little hedges of their own. In the inner sections of the wheel were the smaller herbs and the ones Juniper used most often. Eyebright, Pennyroyal, Primrose, Violet, Chamomile, Heart's Ease, and Marjoram brought back from distant travels like a number of Juniper's plants. Then there were bigger plants, Lovage, Feverfew, Woodruff, Tansy, Borage, Iris, Lily, Foxglove, Marigold, Comfrey, Vervain, Hyssop, Rosemary, and Wormwood, Lavender, and Southernwood. I did not know the names of most of these plants at the time, and I may be making up some of them, but these were the sorts of plants we usually worked with. Beyond these, on the outer rim of the wheel, were some ragged plants that the eye passed over quickly. Nightshade, henbane, thorn apple, white poppy, mandrake. They were dusty and unappealing. Better leave them alone, said Juniper. They can make you dreadfully ill. Why have them then? I asked curiously. They have their uses. Everything has its time and place. Unquote. I love that passage because, like Juniper, Robin has reminded me over the years that so called weeds and even poisonous plants can have great purpose. And on a related note, as she says in our discussion, challenging, even painful times can be a portal for tremendous transformation. I am so excited and so honored to share our conversation with you. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Christina writes, 
Dear Pam, I have a very strange and specific question for you, and I'm hoping you can provide some insight and suggestions. I'm fairly new to the path of witchcraft and have been experimenting and exploring what works for me. I love the idea of connecting with nature and the earth and feel it is a necessary aspect in my growth. But what is a witch to do when she has an incredible phobia of flying, stinging insects? My irrational fear causes panic and an intense feeling of just wanting to run away and hide indoors whenever I hear a buzz in my ear or spy a hornet nearby. I'm ashamed that my witchly longings and irrational fears are at such opposing odds, and I wonder if I can even grow on this path with such an obstacle before me. I'm a huge fan of your podcast and your work, and any suggestions on how I can possibly overcome this would be greatly appreciated. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for your note. And first of all, let me say that I'm sorry that you're harboring such an intense fear. That sounds really scary and really uncomfortable. And frankly, it is not entirely irrational, as you keep saying, because, yep, some insects can indeed sting you. So let's take a little bit of the self-judgment out of your reflection on this, if possible. Now, I'm not sure if this phobia, as you call it, is something you are looking to move past or if you have just come to accept it as your reality. And either answer is totally fine, by the way. But if you are hoping to work through this phobia, now I'm no psychologist, but there is certainly a school of thought that says that facing our fears is one way of helping them to loosen their grip on us. Now, obviously, take that with a grain of salt. If you are super allergic to these insects or have had a traumatizing encounter with them and it will cause you more harm to face it than avoid it, then that is obviously your call and you and perhaps a therapist get to decide that. But something that may help is if you try and connect to the divinity of these very creatures. For example, there are many kinds of bee goddesses in various cultures that you might find a connection with, and that might shift your relationship with them if you explore some of their mythology and their symbolism as alchemists that can transform elements of nature into liquid gold. Honey, that is incredible. I actually wrote an essay about bee magic for Sabbath Magazine, which you can find online, so maybe checking that out can help. But there are many, many other deities that are related to insects who might be interesting for you to read about. In Greek mythology, there's the story of Eos, the goddess of dawn, who was married to the mortal prince Tithonus. Eos asks Zeus to grant Tithonus immortality so she doesn't have to ever lose him, but she forgets 
to ask for immortal youth. And so even though he never dies, Tythonus gets older and older and starts withering away. And Eos can't take his suffering any longer. And so she turns him into a cicada. So perhaps connecting to the ancient wisdom of the cicada and having some sympathy for this tragic romantic love story might shift your energy towards these winged creatures as well. You get the idea. The German philosopher Martin Buber wrote a book called I and Thou, in which he talks about how referring to something as thou rather than it can completely transform your relationship. So I wonder, are there ways you can shift your attitude or relationship to these insects into the space of thou? Is there some magic or holy message you can receive from them? Or even better, perhaps there's an offering of gratitude that you can leave for them as a thank you for pollinating our fields and helping our food supply stay hearty and abundant. And maybe you want to give them this offering and petition them for their protection and their gentleness when it comes to you. These rituals can really be incredibly effective, not just for the external outcome, but for the internal transformations and revolutions that can occur. Again, these are all just suggestions. So if your answer to this is no fucking way, I'm staying inside, then please disregard them. They're not necessarily for you. And you might have just heard my cat Remy meowing in affirmation. Right, Remy? <laughs> okay, Remy. I hear you. So Remy is agreeing and she is saying that if you are not ready to do this or if you are never ready to do this and you just need to come up with a way to make your magic out of the path of these flying stinging insects that's totally fine you can absolutely do magic indoors or on a screened in porch or just at a time of day or year when these insects aren't likely to be around because remember nature is everywhere including in our own bodies magic meets you where you are so if, for the time being, you just need to take baths and light candles and do a divine dance in the comfort of your living room, you are still a witch and you are still doing nature magic. I hope that helps and I hope you let yourself fly high wherever you may be. Now, on to my guest Robin Rose Bennett is a writer, a green witch, and wise woman who has been practicing herbalism for over 30 years. 
She is the teacher of wise woman healing ways of herbal medicine and earth spirit teachings, which she offers in many, many formats from in-person classes and conference workshops all over the world to online classes to her herbal apprenticeship circles of which I had the immense good fortune to take part Robin is also the author of Healing Magic, a Green Witch Guidebook to Conscious Living, and The Gift of Healing Herbs, Plant Medicines and Home Remedies for a Vibrantly Healthy Life. And both of these books are absolutely exquisite, and I am constantly recommending them to pretty much everyone I have cause to. Robin is also a repeat guest lecturer at such institutions as Albert Einstein College of Medicine, St. John's Hospital, Beth Israel's Nursing Program, and Brown University Medical School, and she's a faculty member of the New York Open Center. In addition to all that, Robin has a private consultation practice in New Jersey offered on a sliding scale and an herbalist-in-residence teaching practice at a family medical practice in the Bronx. She also writes beautiful essays and blog posts and newsletters and poems and puts out charming and informative online videos and so much more. And you are most likely going to fall completely in love with her like I have. Robin joined me from her magical cottage in New Jersey via Zoom. Robin Rose Bennett, welcome to the Witch Wave. Thank you, Pam. I'm so excited to be here with you. I am so thrilled you're here and you and I are indulging ourselves and doing a video chat on Zoom right now, which I don't usually do with my guests, but I'm just so happy to see your face right now. Uh, Vice versa, I wanted to look upon your face. (laughs) (laughs) So Robin, your name actually comes up quite a bit on the podcast because I'm always mentioning how you are such a monumental figure in my life when it comes to a person who's really influenced me and made me a more confident out in the open witch and who certainly introduced me to the magic of nature in a way that I was sort of kind of aware of. And then you came into my life and taught me so much about green magic. And really, it was a big awakening for me. So I'm sure I'm going to be thanking you a 100 times during this interview. But I just want to say thank you right off the start, because you have really, really changed my life, Robin. You are so very welcome. And of course, it's been a massively enormous pleasure to watch you waking the witch in so many other people over these years and your art and your words and your book and your podcast. I mean, Pam, go girl, go. (laughs) Thank you, Robin. That means the world to me. 
But I wanted to start, for those who might not be familiar with your work, you describe yourself on your website with all these beautiful words. You call yourself a writer, green witch, an herbalist, a wise woman. I would certainly add teacher to that because you've taught so many hundreds, if not thousands, of students and herbal apprentices over the years. But today, is there a word that's coming to you when someone asks you to describe your vocation or yourself? Who are you? What are you? What's resonating today in terms of language? The single word that is resonating more today than any other is storyteller. I've been thinking about this because I do have lots of different hats I wear and I am a green witch that's you know sort of like the living breathing essence. I often say you know I'm an indigenous green witch with a buddhist bent and that you can't take the jewish mother out of the green witch. <laughs> so it's all these different identities but storyteller if I had to pick one as you asked me to do that's the one I would choose because I think that that is the thread that goes through everything. And that whether I am listening for the stories of other people or of the oak tree or of the dandelion, you know, or the otter, whether I'm listening for the story or I'm telling the story, it's all about story. Story is how we heal ourselves and how we heal the larger community. That's really beautiful, Robin. And it resonates because one of the first ways that I was introduced to your work is through, I believe it's your first book, Healing Magic, A Green Witch Guidebook to Conscious Living, which did it turn 10 recently or? What you're thinking of is that in 2014, it was re-released as an updated 10th anniversary edition. Was it that long ago that it was 10 yes. years old? Okay, so now it's what, 16 years old? Sweet 16, baby. Hey, that was the age I left home. So, you know, that's the age the book is now spreading out more widely into the big wide world. Absolutely. It's such a special book. And whenever people ask me for a foundational book to begin their magical practice, it is always tip top of my list. Because it's a book that is so filled with story and ritual, and you really weave together the notion of nature and plants and science and physiology with spirit and magic. And meeting you and working with you, you know, many years ago, and we'll get into our origin story at some point. <laughs> it seems so obvious now, but it was really such a, a mind-opening concept for me when we first met that, of course, nature is filled with magic, and of course, the body is sacred and divine, and therefore, to divide up nature from our spirit or to think of it just as, you know, a cabinet filled with chemicals that we can turn into pills or whatever is so antithetical to what thousands of years of other human beings have thought of and their approach to nature. So anyhow, when did you realize that nature was a site of magic? You know, I think that probably like everyone I've always known, though I didn't know what I knew. 
And I say that to thinking of one of my favorite little uh, moments in life where as a little girl, when my mother and father were taking like eight millimeter movies way back when in the Stone Age, and the last frame of one of the family movies is me running up to the screen with my arm held out, you know, forward. And only when right up to the camera, can you see that I am presenting a dandelion flower? Love it. (laughs) Oh, I was an herbalist by the time my mother took those eight millimeter movies and made them one, whatever it was at that point, whether it was a CD-ROM or it was, I don't remember, but, and that was what she chose to end it with. So I looked at them as like, wow, I was loving nature, but I didn't know it. And then I moved out to Northern California at a certain point in my late teens. And the beauty of it, I think, was really beginning to awaken me. And then when I did my herbal apprenticeship, oh, 30 (laughs) years ago, 30 something years ago now, what was the question? Was the question when I woke to the magic of nature? Yeah. Like, when did you realize that nature had magic and sentience and consciousness? Because, I mean, I've always loved nature, too. I think naturally most of us do. And yet there was something about the way you taught me that made me realize that it was truly a site of transformation and magic and witchcraft You know, it it wasn't simply like, oh, what a beautiful flower. And it wasn't simply like, oh, this flower can take my headache away. It's like, no, this is a magical freaking, you know, sphere. This is a being. These are beings. So I would say that that aspect I can trace back to October 1985 when I did my herbal apprenticeship. It wasn't my first herbal course, but it was when I did my first herbal apprenticeship up at the Wise Woman Center. And when Susan Weed said to me, I'm going to help you learn how to learn from the plants, that opened that door. And then over years, little by little, by little, by little, by little, not only do I experience it and then pass the experience on to you and your sisters and and now your brothers, but I came to realize more and more and more that the most far out wildly magical, spiritual truths that I was studying and sharing were absolutely true and shifted my life forever, not into a new place, but into a place of authenticity, of loving interconnection, of responsibility, you know, so many things, essentially of of being like it's not us and nature. And I'm always thinking about that in my writing and speaking as well, because we tend to say, you know, nature and humans, but we are part of nature. Yeah, yeah. This is reminding me at the very, very beginning of your second book, The Gift of Healing Herbs, which is this thick, juicy book of herbal recipes and remedies. You write the following, and I'm just going to read a small segment of it. You wrote, This green path slowly but surely returned me to a natural yet heretofore elusive state of joy and delight at being alive in a body on this beautiful planet Earth. And then you go on to say, that is too good to keep to myself, and thus this book is my sharing of what has filled me up 
overflowing because it isn't mine, it's ours. And can you talk a little bit about how this connection to nature brought you that joy and that delight? Because, gosh, don't we all need some of that right now, especially, but always, always, always. Agreed on both those points. So going back a little bit, I was a student of a particular spiritual system as a very young girl, which also opened things up and changed things in my life in a very deep way as far as immanence, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-C-E, the spirit that is intrinsic in all, everything on earth from the stones to the trees, to the clouds, to the winds. And I would have moments of bursts of enormous joy working uh, with my teachers and with all of our students in that system. But it was always kind of more transcendent magic, transcendent spirituality. Like, yeah, every time I can rise up out of the misery of being a human and people being mean. And so I didn't really want to be here. And it's interesting because over the years, I find I attract so many students who feel that way. Like, yeah, really comfortable floating in the ethers, don't really want to be here. So when I began to study the plants and plant medicine and how everything was a woven web of, of living, a vibrant connection, I thought that I was happy. I thought that I had discovered keys to happiness. And maybe I discovered some keys, but the landing, the landing in the body and the realization that I was surrounded everywhere by these loving, healing beings that we call plants and trees, that began to awaken a level of true joy that I didn't know really that I was missing Mm -hmm. until I had it. And moving into the present for a moment, yesterday, I was coming home from some chores, maybe five minutes down the road from where I live. There is a truly ancient oak that I've discovered, this beautiful oak tree. And I thought it's been a little while, kind of early in the COVID-19 unfolding of what was going on. I went to that oak and asked for some guidance and I received some guidance. So now here I am yesterday back with this oak and I'm trying to clear myself of my busy mind and my preconceived ideas and so on. And, you know, let me make space. I really need to hear. I need some guidance. And what came through so clearly, eventually, was joy is medicine. Yes! Joy is medicine. And this is a medicine you have to share with others. And there was this image of myself walking through the door to joy, right? Walking through the door to joy, which is often really a question of accepting what is right? And not needing to always be trying to make it different so that I can feel joy. But joy is a more intrinsic state of being with what is a la uh, Byron Katie. Some people may know her beautiful work, which has really helped me a lot. So there was this image of the doorway. And it wasn't, you know, labeled like the door of joy. The impression that I had was as if it was, here you are, Robin Rose, in the world of, of matter. This door takes you to the world of, oh, that's more than that. And the ability to dance freely between these doorways and to bring that spirit back, that magic back into the earth world and keep dancing them together, that's 
what is the basis of this joy. And then I saw myself holding that door open for as many people as wanted to come in too. I was so grateful. And I spent some time with some pines and some maples, but that was the primary thing. And this tree is so old. I said, are you grandmother or grandfather? And the tree said, yes. I said, (laughs) okay, then. When I think of what this grandmother, grandfather oak in hundreds of years here has seen. So she says what she said. So yes, joy is medicine and we really do need it. We are so easily brought to our knees in despair, you know, with plenty of reasons, right? Things are in such a state. But the other thing, as you know, Pam, ever so well, we were in a state of crisis before COVID. Yes. But we're walking through the world and through our days and just trying to make it all work and hang together and pay the rent and bring up the kids and blah, 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 make dinner. So we're walking around as if we're not in crisis, except for, you know, we'll spend some time and go to this march. But this crisis is so disruptive that we can't act like we're not in crisis. So it becomes a portal. It truly is a portal for us. How do we want to bring our visions of how joyous this world can be, how equitable, how kind? How do we use this time and mine it for the gold? Just like in a personal level, I always teach and guide people that your personal illnesses and physical challenges, yours, mine, ours, are portals to our evolution. We want to mine it for the gold so that it's not just pain and suffering. It is that which brings us aware of what was already going on so that we can bring healing to it. And one of the energies that we need to be sustainable for all the healing that we need to bring is joy. Ah, Robin, Robin, Robin. Yes. Thank you. That is so gorgeous. And I know I definitely needed that reminder today. And I'm sure many listeners need that reminder too. So thank you. And I was thinking about you specifically, Robin, and joy the other day, because some listeners know that one of the few places that I can walk around freely in my neighborhood here in Brooklyn is at our local cemetery, which is Mm. gorgeous. And the other day I was there and it was exploding in cherry blossoms. And I stood underneath this cherry tree for a while and just let myself feel the delight. And I pulled down my face mask for a little bit because, you know, no one was around me. And just let myself feel this extravagant, joyful, light pink beauty. And I felt it just filling me up. And eventually more people came under the tree. And at first I was like, you better keep your six feet. (laughs) You know, but then I was like, you know, this is not my tree. Everybody needs this joy and this beauty. Of course, it's calling other people under the tree too. And you taught me so much about cherry specifically as a joy medicine. And I was wondering, you know, perhaps we can talk more specifically about plants right now who might be especially helpful. Let's just start on a spiritual level in terms of healing magic that people can learn from or take into their bodies and spirits right now. Is there anybody else in addition to Cherry who you think wants to be brought into our conversation today? Well, yeah, about 12 just flew in (laughs) and said, talk about me, 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 me. Plants are somewhat like children sometimes in that way, even though they are our elders. Everybody loves attention and accolades when well-earned. So Violet 
sure comes to mind. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, way back when, when you were apprenticing with me, she was one of your primary allies. Yep. She was, she was one of my girls. That is right. I want to say one other thing before I talk about that spiritual medicine that you spoke of. One of my litmus tests for spiritual wisdom is, is there a mirror of it in nature? Is there a mirror of it in nature? And this helps keep people's spiritual concepts and understandings grounded. And I'm not encouraging people to be cynical, but to be skeptical is also to be wise, right? Rather than just swallowing wholesale, this does this and this does that. When I was first in my spiritual work, what was part of my problem with it is I watched myself and others just be stuck in our heads, in our concepts and not having it be an embodied understanding. Mm. So, Cherry, you were saying about that joy you felt standing under that cherry tree. So if we look at the physical medicine of cherry, cherry is well known for being an antispasmodic relaxant to the lungs mm. and supporting the heart in that way. And so when you think about it, right, when you are in joy, you're taking deep breaths, right? If you're having a belly laugh, you're having a deep breath, if you're in stress state, anxious state, you stop breathing, right? You hold your breath. So there's one example. So all plants are going to have both hands, the spirit and the physical, right? Just like that yes. open doorway that the oak, and by the way, oak's Celtic name means door. Her Celtic oh. name is D-U-I-R, door, door. There we go, doorway. So beautiful. So violet, your darling friend, violet, that is the abundant plant right now all over the grounds of at least in the Northeast where we live. This is a plant that softens hardness. So in the body, that could mean softening a hard lump. It could mean softening and moving congested lymph fluid. So, but on a spirit medicine, we can look at like, okay, maybe I or somebody listening is feeling really rigid in their fear or rigid in their sureness that things are not going to go well and they're not going to be able to pay the rent. They're not going to, you know, there's a lot of fear and grief and anxiety and all of these things, right? Now, so Violet is the perfect medicine because she melts that. She's one of my primary plants I turn to also to open myself to grieving. Because grieving experienced and expressed is healing. And it leads to increased creativity. Grieving repressed, where we turn numb, that becomes a real problem. Yes. And we see this at large all around us. Like, oh, I can't feel that. I can't let myself feel that. It'll be too much. I'm too sensitive. I'm, you know, I get it. I totally get it. And yet, Mm -hmm. We must grieve. We must grieve because we are in the midst of, as we know, you know, mass extinction, where we're looking at people dying, where it can be overwhelming, but we don't want to feed living in that place of overwhelm. We want to go into those deep griefs and come out, right? Because that joy is holding us. So Cherry helps you open to that authentic, natural joy that's just there the minute like you come out of your mother's womb. There's like a, wow, what's this place? What life? Oh, ah. <laughs> so we need that when we need that with that maturity, right, of the adult that says, ah, now what can I create from this? So Violet is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. But let me speak of one that might be like in the pantry for people who don't know their wild plants. 
Yeah, so let's get into some kitchen witchery, Robin. Yeah, so kitchen witchery, which is like, ah, it's the best. There's two competing for attention. So I'm going to say basil. (gasps) I just ate some today. Oh, I feel so good about that, Robin. It must have known I was going to talk to you and you were going to mention it. Must have. So it doesn't have to be, you know, the species that's holy basil. All the basils, Genovese basil, Thai basil, sacred basil, my personal favorite, lime basil, lemon basil. Yeah, oh, it's so good. All of these basils lift the spirits. I've literally used basil in concoctions that were helping someone transition off of antidepressant pharmaceuticals. Oh, wow. And then if we want to, again, we look at the physical medicine. Basil helps us to repel pathogens, bacteria, fungi, viruses, right? So if I feel safer walking in the world, my spirits lift. It's different than vulnerability. Vulnerability is a kind of openness that is beautiful. But if I feel defenseless and unsafe, which I felt for the majority of my life, well, wait, I'm getting really elder, so it may be not the majority of my life anymore, but for decades (laughs) of my life, that's how I walk through the world which maybe people wouldn't have known. They might have thought, oh, she carries herself with that kind of Sagittarian joie de vivre and confidence, but I was always frightened. But I do want to put a pin in fear and get back to it later because I have a lot I want to ask you about in terms of Okay. Yes, but basil, basil helps with that. So basil is so helpful with that calming, uplifting, gentle just absolutely gorgeous medicine that most people have in their cabinet or they have a jar of pesto. I mean, I could talk forever about the physical medicine as well, but in answer to your question, it's an uplifting cup of tea. Dried would be my first choice, but fresh is great too. Dried is your Um, first choice. For our teas, the dried herbs yield more of their oils and properties. The cell walls of the plant don't open the same way with the fresh plant, though I certainly love to eat basil and give me a basil with a little mozzarella and, That's you know, sun-dried tomato. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Well, you didn't invite me. Okay. <laughs> oh, next time. Next time when we can actually be together physically, yes. although, you know, we are all energy. So I think that's one of the reasons why myself and a lot of people, maybe you too, Hammer, surprised at the level of connection you can actually generate and feel. I feel it. Robin, I feel like I'm levitating off my chair talking to you, honestly. So (laughs) yes, I I definitely co-sign that. I miss hugs though. So, you know, I can do that, but it's not quite the same, but there you go. There's one for you too. I feel it. I feel it. Thank you. So you were talking about basil and, and, and there was someone else that you wanted to bring in. Rosemary was going, hey, don't forget me because I help you remember who you are. I help you remember what matters. I help you remember that whatever you can imagine, you can create. I help you remember. Mm. So I love rosemary and rosemary is beautiful medicine for the cardiovascular system. Also, these herbs are antioxidant rich. So that makes them very supportive for our immune systems at a time when we're all trying to prevent illness. We're all trying to stay as healthy as possible. So yes, Rosemary wanted her moment, Rosemarinus officinalis. I love the translation of her botanical name, which is dew of the sea. Yeah. And when you think about it, everything in nature tells us about their gifts by 
everything about them from their colors to where they grow to do they like sun or shade. So I will say this for your enjoyment. Rosemary's home, her native home, is the rocky cliffs of the Mediterranean, Mm. right? So do have the sea where the sea mist will kind of splash over her. So there she is in this harsh, windy, salty environment, and she thrives. And so this is all medicine that we are then taking into ourselves when we drink our rosemary tea, or maybe we make a rosemary hair oil and we rub it into our scalp and it not only beautifies and grows our hair thicker and more lustrous, but it also is penetrating in through the pores of our scalp and bringing clarity because rosemary physically oxygenates the brain, helps the memory, right? So here we again have this mirror, spiritual medicine, physical medicine in alignment. I love that. Now, Robin, you just said the word memory, which reminded me we have to take a break. So we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back. I am so excited to be the first to announce a long-awaited debut from your favorite candle maker and mine, Mithras Candle. And that is Mithras Black. Mithras Black is a gorgeous new line of black beeswax candles in their signature style made with a plant-based dye. These handmade tools have an ancient and mystical past inspired by new discoveries in light science. As the company grows, Mithras Candle are balancing their natural golden beeswax with the mystery and transformative power of black candles. There are times when we are faced with an unknown. How can we process and transmute the pain of grief, the vulnerability of waiting? When we must honor moon cycles, process hard feelings, heal, surrender, or cast protection. When we are tired and hopeless, what we need is restoration of spirit. Mithras Black is for those times. Black candles have been traditionally associated with protection and absorption of negative energy. Plus, they look absolutely gorgeous. Our friends in Philadelphia are now asking for your support with a big push in crowdfunding on Indiegogo for new equipment and supplies to bring these beauties into being. There are so many juicy reward offerings, including all our favorite classic Mithras candles now in black with limited edition wearable emblems one-of-a-kind cauldron candle vessels from ceramicist Clarissa Eck, and a custom Mithras candle photo print from witch photographer extraordinaire Courtney Brooke Hall. Visit the Mithras candle campaign today, and all early bird contributors will receive a free pair of black votives. Go to MithrasCandle.com, that's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and click on the campaign link, or you can go to their Instagram account. On behalf of Mithras Candle, thank you for your support. Wishing warmth, light, and shadow to all. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Robin Rose Bennett. 
So Robin, you were just telling us about all kinds of herbs that can support us physiologically and spiritually during this time. But I want to ask you something that I'm sure you get asked about all the time. I probably asked you this when I was your student way back when, which is, when is Western medicine helpful? How do you feel about pharmaceuticals and vaccines and going to the ER? Because I think there tends to be a misconception that people who are into green witchery mean that they just write off doctors and scientists. And and in my experience of you, that's not this hard line in the sand that you've drawn, but I'd love for you to expound upon that, especially in this age when we're waiting for a vaccine for COVID and so on. You know, I really do ascribe to the both and philosophy that whatever we're discussing, it's it's never going to be either this or that. It's always going to be this and that to some extent. And I think that in large part, it depends upon the person who's needing the help. Sometimes there is not a whole lot of option, right? Somebody could be far out of the reach of conventional medicine. And so they're going to rely on traditional medicine like herbal medicine or bone setting or whatever it might be, acupressure, because that's the only option. And other times it might be that somebody is hit by a Mack truck. And so off they get rushed to the hospital and I'm not going to be running up and saying, wait, wait, take comfrey. Don't, don't go to the hospital. (laughs) Right. So it's a question of the situation, what's available and what the person has trust in. So let's say if it's not an extreme situation, like either one that I just described, but it's an everyday situation. Partly the question is going to be, what does this person trust in? Right. If I'm helping somebody Mm -hmm. with knowing what's appropriate for them Because if they're going to take herbs for an infection, but they're terrified, then that terror is going to keep their immune system at a low functioning level. Mm. And it's not a kind thing for me to insist in any way that they or even imply that they would be better off, even if I think they would be better off using herbs that I know will work. So that's why it really depends upon the person and what they're ready for. I was assuming and correct me if I'm wrong, just based on what I I know of you, that you are not saying that herbs can totally keep someone from getting the coronavirus or that herbs can totally heal someone. Or do you think maybe they could? I don't know. I I suppose I just want to make sure that I'm giving you a platform to speak your truth and also that we're being responsible in terms of the information that we're providing for people. There are clinical herbalists who I know who are helping people through COVID. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly been the supportive herbalist with people I know with this virus. I think herbalists, and now I'm not including myself in this particular thing I'm about to say, but I think they are unsung heroes in this moment because they are in countries around the world achieving results that are not being gathered, mm-hmm. that are not being tallied. Yes. And I'm I'm watching how some herbalists that I know are trying, trying to gather together the information. And China herbalists have been pivotal, even if that's not making the news, mm. you know, in people's survival rate. So herbs don't do things to people. Mm-hmm. They work with the systems of the body and the systems of the mind, the auric field of the person. Everything is relationship. So do I think that you or I 
might be able to take in our foods and in our infusions and maybe tinctures and baths, teas that can prevent us from getting sick? Yes, I do. Mm. Does that mean I think any of us is invulnerable? No, but I don't think we'll be invulnerable if we have a vaccine either. Mm. It's a complex question that I don't know an answer Mm -hmm. to, but those are some of my thoughts around it. And I was thinking just today because I treated myself for something that was so bad. And I thought to myself, you know, if I didn't know what I know about the herbs, I would have been in pain for so much longer. And maybe I would have felt that I had to go to the doctor, to the emergency room and expose myself potentially to more likelihood of someone with COVID. But I didn't because I knew how to walk outside my door. I had a really bad reaction to a tick bite is the short version of the story. Long story short, the primary healers were salt baths, salt and baking soda baths and violet leaves Mm. with some echinacea. So herbs blow my mind with how well they work on a very regular basis. But I don't think there's a need for us to say this and only this, this and only that. As as we're sitting here talking, what is the thing that every spiritual tradition, including our witchery, has in common? It's the call to presence. Yes. So I think the thing is to be present to what is required in that situation And where our kind of magic and joy and the connection to nature comes in is is maybe we remember a little more readily than someone else that whatever we need is actually here for us. Mm. And as we open ourselves to it, we're going to draw ourselves to the right kind of healing. You know, when my beloved partner got very ill, which led to his death at a young age, a relatively young age, you know, he said to me at one point, darling can't you help me with this brain tumor? And I said, no, no, I I really, really appreciate your utter trust and confidence in me. But there are some things I can't do in brain surgery is one of them. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, you know, we managed to draw like one of the greatest brain surgeon doctors was in New Jersey, like right then. Mm -hmm. And when he passed, that became a pivotal life experience going back to that thing about how grief opens doorways, that was a pivotal experience in life that now, seven and a half years later, I have come out the other side of just about. And it's opened vast depths of compassion in me that I didn't have access to before. Yes, yes. And that's one of my prayers about this time is that people don't use it to shut down more and to you know close up more, but that it opens our compassion for one another. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate you sharing that anecdote. And I had the great privilege of knowing him a little bit. What a lovely human being. Blessed be to him. Thank you. And, and I also really thank you for the generosity of that story. One of many takeaways from that is like, yeah, he saw a Western doctor. It's not like you're saying never, never, never. And that's something that I've really come to appreciate about you. Well, I appreciated it about you from the very beginning, because I remember when I first started studying with you, I was so afraid of being judged for Like, I still take the birth control pill. I know that there are lots of green witches out there who are like, oh, 
putting hormones in your body is awful. You know what? I love the damn pills, Robin. And I imagine that a lot of people will disagree with me. Maybe you do too. But for me, I don't want to let go of those and transition to wild carrot. Though it's good to know that wild carrot is an option down the road because who knows how things might change. And yet there are so many other medicines or pharmaceuticals that I am much more wary of. And, you know, I'll turn to herbs first before I'll do some of the things that I might have been quicker to do when I was younger. And that's where herbs come in. They should be absolutely the first, second, third, 10th choice and only the harsher, more harmful treatments, more invasive treatments later. So yes, he went for the surgery, but it was the herbs that kept him without a moment of pain. Ah. Yes. The herbs that did a lot of good things for him. So, yeah, it's a question of knowing what it's time for in a given moment. I mean, myself, I would try to avoid pharmaceuticals at all costs, but not at all costs. I would avoid pharmaceuticals whenever healthy to do so. Mm -hmm. I mean, more and more these days, and this is predates COVID, my prayer is, you know, whatever it is I'm wanting to give to others or whether I'm making a decision is, Help me to do this in a way that is healthy. Mm -hmm. I look at it that our world is ill right now. Mm. And I don't mean COVID. I mean the bigger picture of the illness of that we can allow people to live in, you know, unthinkable ways, unthinkable conditions. So my prayer, and it does keep me less in my judgmental mind and more in my healer mind, is this is illness that we need to heal. Right, this bringing of justice, this bringing of equality, but it's an issue of healing, is what I'm trying to say. And all the answers are here. Mm-hmm. All the answers are here. And it's, we could say all day they're the problem, but we're the solution. We're the ones who have to help take the stand. Absolutely, Robin. I I couldn't agree more. We we talked a little bit about fear and. Mm. That is something that I've been working through a lot, not just in this crisis that we're in and have been living in leading up to this, but especially now, but also in my own life as someone who I think like a lot of people has had all kinds of ups and downs with anxiety and self-confidence and finding my voice Mm. and, and all of these things that in some ways are stronger and more vivid and more bold than ever. And in other ways, I'm still very much working through. And it's Mm. very helpful to know that someone like yourself, who I think of as such a confident, vivid, multi-talented, shining person, has had to overcome her own anxieties and fears. And if you could speak to that a little bit more, you know, whether on a personal level or on the level of you know, everything we're going through as a society, whatever comes to mind, I'd really welcome that. I'm laughing because people say, but Pam, that's how we see you. That's how we see you. Because of course, people see you at at your best. They see me at my best, you know, presenting. And so yeah, there's the rest of life. And post editing. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So um, what came to mind when you were saying that was nettles, Mm. you know, so here's another place that plants really shine We can't make ourselves evolve and grow, but we can invite it in. We can invite it in. And I always see it that even in fear or anxiety, I'm I'm doing the best I can to keep myself safe and 
it's in a weird way, like a kind of convoluted form of self-love. Mm. So I'll ask like, all right, show me healthier ways to love myself. Show me healthier ways to walk in the world as me. Who are you saying that to? That's a good question. I always wonder that. <laughs> <laughs> I often I'll write that in my journal. I'm like, and who am I every day? I wake up and I say, thank you every day. Thank you. And then I say, who am I thanking? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, one time I looked up and I said my, you know, little thank you. And it was like the earth said, yo, look down here when you're saying that. It's me you're thanking. So I was like, yes, ma'am. Okie dokie. I love so, that. you know, I'm, I'm thanking the goddess. I'm thanking God, God, all that is. I'm thanking creator. I'm thanking spirit, great mystery. See, to me, it's all magic and spirit are synonyms. Yes. And all of that, when we get to this kind of part of the conversation, it's that which goes beyond any words we can give it, right? And I have no one image for who I'm thinking. It's not a, it's a beingness, right? It's a beingness. But there is a sense that I have of those who walk with me in spirit, who I am grateful for in addition to my earthly allies, right? Like you and so many others. But it took me a lot longer to trust my earthly allies than my spiritual allies. How interesting. That was part of that journey of fear. Mm. I, I worked with a lot of fear of other people for the longest, longest time, you know, and then particularly of people who identify as men. Mm. And there's been so much healing around all of these things. And, and, you know, I don't think I was doing this when you studied, but it's now been, oh, I don't know, six years, seven years that I've been doing a men's apprenticeship circle too. Oh, that's awesome, Robin. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. And they're so great. And they need a place to awaken to all those things you were talking about that you woke up to, that I woke up to, and I'm always waking up to. It's not like one thing I love to tell people. And so let me say it now is there's no there there. There's no there you get to. When people say, I'm getting there, I said, do you mean you're getting here? You're getting here because that's the goal. How do you get here? And that is an answer to fear because fear is always in the future. Fear is what's going to happen next. For me, it's a practice of meditation. I don't know how anyone can feel stable and centered and grounded in 20, whatever year this is. 20. What year is it? (laughs) 2020. Thank you. It feels like it's been about seven years and one year so I, far, though. I know. I know. You know, without a meditation practice, I just don't. Mm-hmm. You were talking about nettles as well, Robin. Nettles, right? Nettles. So nettles teaches self-respect. And to walk in the world with your self-respect brings with it a level of alignment that is walking in safety because you're walking in truth. You're walking in your power, not in any kind of arrogant way at all, but simply, I love the idea and the reality of coherence, where when the outside of me or you starts to match the inside of me or you, which is something now as as an elder that I've been finding more and more, but it doesn't just happen. Mm. You absolutely have to devote yourself to it to moving through the fear, to coming. Because for me, if I'm in fear, I trust that I'm in illusion. And I want to find my way to the truth because I want to be free. Mm. But fear is not something like whenever people say in ritual, they're throwing their fear into the cauldron. I'm like, no, don't, because we need it. 
Mm. We need fear. Fear is a warning. What we don't need is to live in fear, which is where we get really drained and it controls us. I mean, I speak from personal experience when we're in that place, it controls us, which is for me as a really young woman, I started to challenge it. Like I would travel by myself and I'd be terrified, but I'd go everywhere and I'd do everything Yes, that I was scared every minute. So I would draw myself to people who would say things like, you're traveling by yourself without a gun here, you know, so like just mirroring back, you know, my own worst fears. So nettles, because she has that potent acid rich sting and does, you can't just grab nettles without getting hurt. Mm -hmm. When we take nettles into us, it kind of gives us that like, stand up a little straighter. You may approach me if I invite you. You may hug and kiss me if I invite you. You may not cross into my energetic field if I don't invite you. And that kind of self-confidence then breeds a dissipation of fear without having to literally work on addressing the fear. Absolutely. Yeah. Nettles is definitely the consent herb, isn't she? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm drinking her a lot right now. But that's wonderful. And I'm feeling like a really great herbal student because I've been drinking my nettles pretty regularly too, Robin. So good girl. Good girl. (laughs) I love it. All right. On that note, we have to take another quick break and we'll be right back. Hello, Witch Wave listener. I am so thrilled to finally unveil the Witch Wave Patreon. By becoming a Witch Wave patron, you'll get to access Witch Wave Plus, which has bonus episodes and ad-free full-length episodes. You'll also be able to join our members-only digital coven, where we'll be doing live video chats, sharing witchy news and tips, and where you can meet other Witchwave kindred spirits. Head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave to check out all of this and many other rewards. And thank you so much in advance for choosing to support the show. I truly appreciate it, and I can't wait to make some more magic with you. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Robin Rose Bennett. So Robin, I wanted to talk about my experience being your student. I wrote about this a little bit in my book, how you entered my life, which was through magic. It was through a spell, you know, and I'll just paraphrase. I had reached this point in my life when I was kind of a solitary witch and doing my secret rituals. And I don't even think I was calling myself a witch in public at that point. And then I just reached this point where I desperately knew I needed a teacher and Mm -hmm. A group. I wanted to find the others, as Timothy Leary famously said. And I had no idea how to find the witches. I was living in New York City. You would think it would be shitty with witches, but I did not know where to find them. And so I did this spell, this really powerful spell, and went to this spot in Prospect Park that's very sacred to me and gave an offering. And the very, very, very next day, I was wandering around on my lunch break when I was still working at uh, Getty Images. And at the time, the Open Center was still in Soho. The Open Center, for those who aren't familiar with it, is this holistic 
workshop space. It, it hosts teachers who teach all kinds of courses and classes and everything from Reiki to tarot to alternative modalities of storytelling and healing and, and so on and so forth. I go to this bookshop that is part of the Open Center, and I ask the person who was working there, do you have any books on witchcraft? And he leaned over and he said to me, well, we don't like to use the word witch here, (laughs) but we do have a teacher in the catalog. She's listed as an herbalist, but trust me, she's a witch. And he Uh. brought me a copy of Healing Magic. And I remember my first reaction being like, this is different than I pictured because I wasn't at the time, I'll admit, I wasn't interested in herbalism or I didn't think I was. It just wasn't something that ever occurred to me. And when I was picturing the witch in my mind, you know, it was a woman who wore all black and who would do all kinds of ceremonial magic and Now that I know you, and once I got to study with you, I know you were a deeply ceremonial, ritualized witch, but you came in this other package than I was picturing. And it's interesting because (laughs) whenever people ask me about my marriage, because I'm very blessed and long may it last to have a, a happy marriage to my lovely Matt, but he's really different than I pictured. When I was picturing my fantasy of a husband or, you know, we all have these projections in our mind. Mm -hmm. And I think when we get too attached to those, we miss the most magical, loving, incredible Mm. human beings and experiences that we actually really need and will benefit from. That's just such a profound point. I just want to encourage you to pause there for a minute to let us all take that in. It's so important when we get too attached to what we think what we're asking for will look like. Mm -hmm. When it shows up, we might miss it. Because we're not open-hearted and open-minded enough to feel, oh, wait a minute, this wasn't exactly what I was picturing, but I think it's the answer to my spell or my prayer or my magic or my calling. So yeah, I just wanted to give it a moment because that's so important for people's lives. Well, thank you, Robin. Thank you. And so often I think the things that we're picturing are coming from a place of ego. It's often about how we picture ourselves too. Not always, but Mm -hmm. I think often. And when this green witch, this herbalist who wore bright colors and sang songs (laughs) and was so joyful and was so rooted, if you'll forgive the pun, in the natural world was so obviously brought to me. And when that portal, the portal of you, Robin Rose Bennett, was (laughs) open for me, I'm just so grateful that I trusted my instincts and how I felt and allowed myself to feel that fear and anxiety of like, this is different than I thought it would be. And I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know fuck all about plants and herbs, but I'm going to go for it. And I signed up for a class at the Open Center And the second that you started speaking, I was just like, and I know many people have said this to you, so forgive me, but I'm going to say it again. I really felt like I was home. Mm. I was like, this is where I belong. This is the teacher that I know I'm meant to learn from. And, you know, I studied with you through those classes at the Open Center. I think I took a couple classes with you and then learned about your apprenticeship, which is a much more intimate circle of 
At the time, it was women, and it sounds like you've expanded to all genders, uh, which I think is awesome. And I studied with you as your apprentice in this group for several years. And not only were you my teacher, but the group was my teacher too. I learned how to, there's that word again, be vulnerable with other people. And you might remember, like, I was definitely a little bit guarded and a little bit like... Mm -hmm. You know, had my my New Yorker skepticism. You got to be cool, honey. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was trying to remember who it was, and, and I think it was you. There was this moment where I said, you know, I can really see you with Violet, where you actually got a little bit insulted and defensive, and you thought I was making a judgment about you. <laughs> You know, because Violet opens the heart. Like, are you saying my heart's closed? I'm sure that was me. I'm sure that was me. I think I've softened quite a bit over the last, especially the last decade, and let myself be more vulnerable. But, you know, that guardedness that I had, some of it came from some trauma, and we don't have to get into that, some family stuff and stuff I've lived through, and some of it came from being a New Yorker and all this stuff, right? Being a woman, all of it, all of it, all of it. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about why you have decided or why you decided many moons ago to have these groups, these apprenticeship circles, and why you think community and group magic can be beneficial for people. You know, when I started, I had one apprentice at a time. I'm still in touch with those first few women. Uh, that I worked with alone, one-on-one, I mean. And the difference in working in a group is so enormous because I think all of us, initially, we start from a place where we believe that how we see the world is how it is. And when you work in an intimate group and everybody's looking at the same thing and they're coming out with all these different descriptions of what they're seeing, I, I often, an, an example would be like, a hawk flies overhead. And I might say, so Pam, what did that mean to you? And you'll say, oh, to me, that meant like, I really got to get on with it with my writing. And, you know, Susan, what did you, what did that hawk do for you? Oh, I'm being, I'm being protected. I'm being watched over. And then Robin, what did, you know, and so on. To learn that how we see is only one facet of seeing Mm -hmm. opens our minds to one another. And so here's the plants, right? They know how to live together. We humans, eh, not so well. The groups teach us how to be more fully humane humans, how to hear one another. And then also, of course, you know, I hear a difficult story somebody tells and it opens me up or it makes me remember something I had put away that I didn't want to think about that happened to me. So, you know, community teaches us this is the time of community. And I've always been kind of that solo person. And it seems to me that I have heard a million times, I don't join groups. I don't join groups. Mm-hmm. I'm a loner. Why am I joining your group? I'm like, because I, I collect the groups of loners, of, of lone wolves. <laughs> you collect all the gothy kids like me who thought they were too cool for group activities. And they were like, oh. Yeah. Or the people like me who say, well, I don't fit in anywhere. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but where do I belong? Yes. Brene Brown was when I heard say that where she said, don't try to fit in, find where you belong. And I'm thinking, my goddess, that is a statement that is so 
profound and helpful. So, yes, I would never get tired of hearing someone say that you helped me feel like I had come home, because to me, that means you are now on your path of being authentically who you are. And when you're authentically, and I will also, Pam, never forget you saying at a really sacred ritual that you were part of, oh, right? No. That I I'm was already guiding. cringing. Okay. At that moment, we were in the river and the river was flowing and everything was magnificent. And you said with this kind of like wonder and despair all rolled in together, like, but I know I, I have gifts and skills and talents and I love this and I love that. And I, but what am I going to possibly ever do with this in my life? <laughs> okay, this is not the story that I thought you were going to tell. And I don't even remember that. Because is it okay? I, is it okay oh, that I tell this? Not only is it okay, but I think it's really important to hear because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who can relate to that, who are like... Everybody can relate to that, right? So yeah. here you are now in your having hit your stride, writing your beautiful books, doing your fabulous podcast here, there and everywhere, speaking, enlightening people, waking witches, waking women to our power, waking people to our power. and that was your truth then. So I always remember that. And with enormous warm heart, do I, I love seeing the trajectory of the journey that I've been fortunate to be part of. To help me on, Robin, I'm saying it. Okay, to help you on. And, you know, I always like to suggest to people that when you hear yourself out loud or in your, in your mind saying some version of like, what's going to happen? You know, how, how's this going to work that you bring in that cherry joy, that child joy and curiosity of, of the South fire that says, Hmm, how's this going to work? Hmm. I wonder how this is going to turn out. So we take our fear and trepidation and we turn it into wonder and curiosity. Mm -hmm. Like, like I was just listening to something Fox who made the movie Gasland. But he was talking about the years of working on stopping fracking mm. and all the people said, you can't win. You can't win. And he's like, hello, look at us now. Seven years later, fracking is banned in New York. It's banned in Maryland. It's banned in you know, the little, yes. little, little, it's banned in many, many countries. So what we can imagine, we can create. This world can change in a flash. Right. So COVID showed us that in a really rough reveal, mm -hmm. right? But we also, and I especially love to encourage young people this, don't just keep picturing what can go wrong and what will continue to go wrong, blah, 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 thinking you're being realistic. You must spend time picturing, imagining, invoking what can go right. Oh, Robin, it's so true. And I couldn't agree with you more, especially in this age of people who I, I think have been so hurt by yes. the election or certainly by what's happening with COVID, by all the disparity that's been going on for hundreds of years, let's be honest, right. but it seems right. to some people very pronounced at this moment in time and who therefore then say, 
that the future's already written and like, don't get your hopes up. And they think it's this intelligent way to be, but it's just that they're wounded and they're scared because maybe they got their hopes up before and they were disappointed. And it's like, nothing is written yet. We're co-creating. I think you wrote in one of your books, we're co-creating with nature all the time. We're co-creating with magic all the time. And also we're part of it. (laughs) Like we have a responsibility to be part of that creation. Exactly. And the responsibility, meaning the ability to respond, the ability to respond. That's what responsibility is. And the thing about community is none of us can do it all. We absolutely need everybody's gifts and everybody's gifts are different. Right. So we need community because, again, none of us can do this alone, but we definitely can do what needs to be done together. And the other thing is, is it's not just humans. Everything in nature is cahooting with us, <laughs> supporting us in awakening. And when we wake up, then we know what to do next. We know what step. When we're in our authenticity, what we do next is like, it's like, imagine that you inhale and ah, suddenly I feel clear about who I am the exhale comes automatically. Ah, so I'm going to start this podcast. Oh, so I'm going to write this novel. Mm -hmm. Things that people think are so hard are not really that hard. It's a question of making yourself available to it and letting nature help you, letting nature help you come to it. So the animals, I loved reading the other day that that the bald eagles in Seattle have been taking garbage out of landfills and dropping them in suburban lawns. Um, (laughs) I didn't hear about that. Yeah, it's just everything is happening all at once. Mm -hmm. And we have these amazing co-cahooters in nature. and, And we need to keep humor. We need to keep humor into the mix of how we do what we do, because otherwise we won't be able to sustain the energy we'll need for the times ahead, because this is not an easy time. Yeah, we can have massive joy, we can have massive fun. And at the same time, things are difficult and not necessarily going to get easier before they get turned into new directions. But the other thing is everything is now. So there's also pockets of this new way of being on planet Earth that we want to bring out into the biggest, biggest sense everywhere that are happening everywhere all over the place. It's not just what passes for news. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the other thing is, and we didn't say this word, but let's make sure we say this word, listening. We need to listen. We need to listen within. We need to listen to what someone else is offering. We need to listen, but we really need to listen to nature because nature has a much larger perspective and longer, older, uh, massive perspective than we do. And, you know, like in Healing Magic, there are rituals, how to get nature's help to dispel anxiety that's overwhelming or fear that's overwhelming or grief that's overwhelming so that we can experience what we're experiencing, not repress it, but also not feed it, not live there. Mm -hmm. That's vitally important. Yes. Can I ask, Robin, do you have any suggestions for how people can be better listeners or how can they recognize what it is they are listening for? This is a loaded question because I remember when I was your apprentice, 
And I hope it's not too revelatory for me to say that you lead kind of these uh, visualized meditations that allow for Mm -hmm. us to hear the voice of the plants and to connect with certain plants. You call them plant allies, that there are certain plants that perhaps want to meet us or connect with us as individuals. Mm -hmm. And I remember not knowing what to listen for back then when I was trying to meet my first plant ally or get a message from the plants. What does it sound like or feel like to you when you are getting this communication? Well, I'm um, an auditory person, so I'll typically hear something more than see because the the answer is, and I know you know this, is going to be very different. For different people. Mm-hmm. Here's what I can offer. When something important is realized by you, however you've heard it, whether you've read it in a book or you've sat with your back to the oak tree and some thought comes to you, when you hear an important truth, it's kind of like metaphorically your jaw drops to the ground and your eyes get big. Mm-hmm. That person suddenly just comes upon the exact right thing to say where you know Mm -hmm. you are now hearing a truth. It's like that. It's like that. Like when I was hanging with that oak tree yesterday and I was trying. And when you're trying, you know, it's really hard because you're filled with you want something. Yes. And then I just exhale and exhale and exhale and exhale. And all of a sudden I heard joy is medicine. And there was this feeling like like truth bumps on my body. That's, you know, what I was taught to call goosebumps, truth bumps. Ah, that's a real message. Mm-hmm. Or when Douglas passed and I was in the deepest of despair and grief and I said, ah, I need help. I need help. And again, who am I asking? I don't know. Um, the universe. And I heard the trees in the forest say, Robin, everything lives and everything dies. And they repeated it like a mantra. And it was like a a weirdly like a lullaby. Mm. Like, yes, this is part of life. Yes, this is part of life. Yes, I will find my way through this passage, through this dark night of loss. And I've been thinking a lot about something I heard Michael Mead say recently. Life is not the opposite of death. Birth is the opposite of death. Life contains birth and death. It just shifts the picture into that perfect yin yang of we don't need to fight with death as if it's the opposite of life. It's always been part of life. Right? Of course, we don't want to invite it to be here more than it needs to be as sure. we're currently experiencing and all of that, but it is is a profound peace of finding peace and you have to have a certain amount of peace to be able to listen and for me that always comes back to the breath and when I started doing daily meditation I would sit there the entire time I had allotted for my meditation saying something like this 199 98 97 is it 20 minutes yet (laughs) so one thing that modern people tend to lack is patience Mm. if you have always been listening to a podcast every time you're jogging or you're always watching a TV show or listening to the radio every time you're cooking or whatever, it takes time to empty out, to listen, Mm -hmm. to hear. 
Yeah. Yeah. Is that helpful? Oh, are you kidding me? Very, very helpful. We are winding down. I want to ask you a couple more things before we have to go, but I would be remiss if I did not ask you, how do you feel about the word witch these days? You still call yourself a green witch on your website. Yes. Do you feel as though the word witch or the popularity of the witch and witchcraft now is something that you're grokking and, and that feels good to you? I think that, you know, obviously witch is more popularized now than ever before. And yet there's still that total taboo mm-hmm. around it, mm-hmm. I find. I was away recently, right before all this started. Lucky me, I fit in a trip. And a woman said something. I was on the roof with my cousin and she was talking about something bad they had done. And I heard I was on the roof with my coven. (laughs) And so I said, and it was a group dinner at this place I was staying. And I said, oh, I said, and are you still in that coven? And every head turned to me like, what? And I said, well, I'm sorry. In my world, that's not a big whoop. That's I thought you were just saying you had a coven. Yes. (laughs) So I think it depends what circles you travel in. It's so true that I also think it comes with a fair amount of privilege and safety to be able to call oneself a witch because there are still so many parts of the world and parts of this country that it's a dangerous word. And and I think people forget that sometimes. And a misused word, Mm -hmm. shall we say, a misrepresented and misused. I mean, we know it comes from wit and Wicca to Bend, and it comes from Wise Woman, and it's all connected. Yep. So many good, well-meaning people over the years have said, you know, if you took that witch thing off your, you know, you'd be like reaching like a lot more people in the world and so on and so forth. And I was like, yes, well, a little late for that now. And uh, <laughs> I don't have to worry about anybody calling me a witch because of my magic. It's like, yes, it says that right here on, on my website and on my, um, yep. you know, that Buddhist part of me is not as attached to identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was telling people I was a witch when I was 10 and I didn't know exactly what that meant. I just knew it was who I was. Mm-hmm. And many years later, I consulted a psychic about something entirely other. And she says, well, your mother and her mother are here in these witch hats. And they're saying that we want you to know you come from a long lineage of witches. And she was like, so apologetic and I was like really oh how wonderful (laughs) (laughs) that's the best I said I should have known I mean that's the other thing that we don't have time to go into but without my relationship with the intelligence of air fire water and earth I don't think I'd be the person I am today I don't think I would feel as strong so that's a medicine wheel that is so common all over this globe, wherever people are connected and deeply respectful of the living essence of the plants, of the trees. And it doesn't have to be, you know, an entheogenic plant, but dandelion can teach you as just as much. It's just that it takes a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. But this wheel of the elements is the wheel of the largest part of ourselves. And the wheel is held from below and guided from above. And then there's the center that is where the uniqueness we are meets with the oneness of all that is. But that center is made up of you, me, the bears, the trees, 
everybody, right? Everybody is part of that center. And the more we feed the center, the oneness, that center feeds our uniqueness. Mm -hmm. And that is where healing really can happen. I call it the medicine wheel of magic. But these are real resources that we have, you know, and they comment on things. You learn to listen to the wind or like when the little birdies landed on Bernie's lectern, <laughs> right? That that didn't just happen randomly. <laughs> that was a little, little vote from nature, you know? <laughs> I definitely think that spirit speaks to us in signs and symbols. I, I call it following yeah. the trail of cosmic breadcrumbs. You know, you're Perfect. following those clues and it's leading you to some truth or some place that you're supposed to get to, or it's leading you to here, as you would say. Right. It's leading you here where you really can listen. And if you don't look for it, you don't see it. Mm -hmm. So it is very much a co-creation, as you say, right? And it's very much a relationship. And what is the relationship each of us wants to have with our lives and with life in general as presented to us through the people in our lives and the opportunities and the challenges and, and all of it? Yes. Well, Robin, I am so grateful that magic has made you one of the people in my life, such an important person in my life. I can hear so many listeners. I'm just imagining their voices asking how they can learn from you more, read your books. So how would you guide people? I know you create so many different things. What would you like listeners to know about in terms of your work and how they can find more of it? My website, robinrosebennett.com is a great place to go. And on the homepage of it, there is a place to sign up for my newsletter, which we keep people updated on new online offerings, classes coming up. Right now, I'm teaching everything online like everybody else. Um, but I'm hopeful that, well, anyway, you know, we're all hopeful. So let's see what happens. <laughs> yes. But I have my books, The Gift of Healing Herbs, Plant Medicines and Home Remedies for a Vibrantly Healthy Life, which is, as you said, the heavy book, the big herbal tome. Heavy in weight only, though. It is light. Yes. Very juicy, thick and juicy. Thank you. Speaking of juicy, happy Beltane. As we're recording this, it's Beltane. Absolutely. A perfect day to talk to you. And, and Healing Magic, a Greenwich Guidebook to Conscious Living is also a helpful book in terms of the how-tos of a lot of the things we're talking about. How to reconnect to the earth, how to engage mystery, how to engage moon magic and women's wisdom, how to engage herbal magic. There's a chapter on the medicine wheel of magic, a chapter on spells and a chapter on rituals, which I think are extremely helpful. Yes. And then as like in your spell story, you told of finding me and my work, then they really do lead you where you want to go. And group ritual leads us where we all want to go. <laughs> so on my on my website, people can see places too, and more so in the really near future, because I'm in the process of some upgrading mm -hmm. on that. But there's places to subscribe to my YouTube channel with videos and the usual Instagram, Facebook, blah, 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 all that good stuff. So robinrosebennett.com. And Pam, I do want to just simply say that I also have written 
a novel. I was just about to ask you about that. I'm so glad you brought it up. Yes. So I am in process of finding uh, the perfect agent for it. I don't know when it will be out in the world. It's a slow process is publishing. Oh, yeah. But it is a novel about everything that we've been talking about, but in the form of a a story like that I hope people will find to be a page turner. And it's called A Song for the Earth. And I'm very excited about it. But I know you're not even supposed to mention these things yet when they're not out yet, but it will be. Well, you should, especially we have incredible listeners who have all different connections and careers. Ah. So, hey, literary people, I can guarantee this is going to be an incredible book. Maybe someone's supposed to get that message. Maybe they are. And I'm currently working on a witch's book of wisdom, a little pocket book. And I'm really excited about that's almost done. And I've just decided to record both of my books, Healing Magic and the Gift of Healing Herbs, so that they'll be available as audiobooks as well. How fabulous, because we didn't talk about this, and unfortunately, we can't talk too much about it, but you have such a beautiful voice. One of my favorite parts of studying with you is hearing, was and still is, hearing you speak, but also your singing voice is so incredible. You have these two meditations that you Uh, put out, the ocean meditations and the moon meditations, and I highly recommend them, and I still am hoping you're going to put out some music someday, Robin. Just plant that seed. I absolutely would love to. And if you'll allow, I would love to sing just one line right now. Absolutely. We are one with the soul of the earth, Mother Earth. Robin Rose Bennett, how I love you. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom with me today and the many years leading up to today. I'm so grateful for you, Robin. And I am grateful for you, Ms. Pam Grossman. Amazing, amazing witch that you are. And beautiful woman. Takes one to know one. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Love you. Green blessings, everyone. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Robin Rose Bennett for her generative wisdom and generous love. And if you'd like to hear more of my discussion with Robin, there will be a bonus mini-sode dropping next week on the Witchwave Patreon feed. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Chiquita Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of sparkly stars. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. 
You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. And please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And once again, if you want more Witch Wave or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. Witch Wave.